Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Good morning. Uh, I don't know about you, but I almost got up here and just said, amen, we're done this morning. That was, that was good. Uh, that was a, a sweet time of worship together. That line in that new song that we sang, uh, we stood beneath a debt we can never afford. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. I'm like ready to charge through a wall after that line. I'm telling you, that was, that was good. Um, my, my soul needs that, that reminder this morning. So we're in uh, First Peter. If you're new around here, whether in person or watching online, my name is Kenny, and I have the privilege of being the pastor here at Mission Way. We've been in this series through First Peter for quite some time now, and um, we'll actually take a break, one last break, uh, for three weeks starting next week, and then we'll come back to First Peter and finish it uh, just before Easter. Um, but next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about the riveting subject of church membership, which I promise you is going to be worth your time. Um, not because of anything that I have to say, but God has been um, just showing me a lot of things of what it means to really be a part of a church, what it really means to plug into the life of the community of the body of Christ. And so um, I'm excited about that. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into church membership, but also uh, communion and baptism over the next three weeks. So that's going to be a fun time together as we go through a series we're calling Sacraments. <clears throat> um, so last week, as we were in First Peter, we saw the victory that Jesus proclaims over uh, sin and death, over the spiritual realm, the victory that he claimed through his life, death, and resurrection. But we also saw that in order for him to proclaim that victory, he first went through suffering for us. And Peter now is gonna begin to, in chapter four, dig a little bit deeper into this idea of suffering, the sufferings of Christ, and what that means for us, what the implications are for us. And I wanna to start today off with a statement. Now, there are some statements that you make them and everybody knows them to be true, um, but yet they still irritate some people. Like when I say that the New York Yankees are the greatest sports franchise in the history of the world, um, people know it to be true, but it's irritating when you understand that you're not rooting for the best team. I get that. There's another statement within the church, statements like this, that when you say, when you say this, People tense up, and it, and it kind of causes division, and I think, I think that Christians know this to be true, but in some ways don't want it to be true, and it's this. True Christians will obey and walk in holiness. Now, think about that for a minute. You might, your instant reaction might be, Kenny, that sounds a little bit too much like legalism to me. That sounds a little bit like, you're a little bit like the Pharisees, as if... Jesus condemned the Pharisees because they were obedient. He didn't condemn the Pharisees because they were obedient to the law. He condemned the Pharisees because they were hypocritical, because they were making their own law. And they were acting as if they were walking in holiness, but they weren't. 
Matter of fact, Jesus said something in Matthew 5 that I think some pastors today might be fired for if they said it. He said, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we know, and, and I'm not here to make, I'm, the point of the sermon today is not to make this case, but we know and believe that our righteousness can never exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. We can never be righteous enough to enter heaven, which is why we have the righteousness of Christ. That's what we celebrated, right? So we could never measure up to this. That's not the point. We can never measure up to that. And so what Paul says is in 1 Corinthians 1, because of him, because of God's work, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Christ Jesus is your righteousness. He is your salvation. He is your sanctification. The whole process of becoming more like Christ happens only because of Christ in you. So we're made righteous in Christ and we're saved by his grace, but that doesn't give us license to now live however we want. Paul is famous, uh, these, these words of his are famous in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin still walk in the sin that we died to? And so I'll say it again, true Christians will obey and walk in holiness, not because of anything in and of ourselves, but because of Christ, because of the transforming work of the gospel. And Peter's gonna tie that to the sufferings of Christ in our passage today. And so we're gonna dive into 1 Peter chapter 4, verse one, starting off. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, if you were here last week, we had a pretty confusing passage of scripture and here's another one for us today, right? What is, what is Peter talking about? He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Well, the point that I think Peter is getting at in this verse, and I'm gonna make the case for it, is that number one, Christ's death is our death. Christ's death is our death. So the word for suffer appears twice in this verse. And it's the same word that was used back in uh, chapter three, verse 18, when it says that Christ suffered for sins, meaning he died for sins. And so I believe that what Peter is saying here is just as Christ died for sin, you and I must also now die to sin. So Christ suffered and died for sins to pay the price for our sins. And now because of Christ's death, we are to die to sin. Some people take this verse, uh, people I respect um, who, who are much uh, smarter than me and better than me at interpreting the word. Um, and they, uh, they would say that what this verse means is Peter saying, once we physically die, we're done with sin. Physically, once we die, we're, we're, we are in the presence of Christ and we no longer sin. And that is true, but I don't think that's what Peter's getting at in the context here. If you remember last week, he talked about baptism. And he, he, he reminded us that our baptism unites us with Christ and reminds us that we died with Christ, we were buried with him and were raised to life. And he goes right on here to continue that thought, I believe. It's the same thing Paul's talking about in Romans 6. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul was talking about baptism in that passage too. And he said, we, we, in our baptism, we died to our old self. We die with Christ in that sense and we are raised to newness of life. So Peter says, whoever has suffered in the flesh, whoever has, I believe he's saying, died with Christ has ceased from sin. 
what does that mean? Ceased from sin. Does that mean we don't sin anymore if we're saved? I think that, first of all, it's important to, to know that the, our English translations don't quite get what Peter's saying. Um, and this might not seem important to you, but this word for ceased in the Greek is in the passive voice. And, and here's why that's important. Um, it doesn't, it's not saying that, so in the passive voice, it means that the subject, which is whoever has suffered, whoever has died with Christ, that's the subject, is being acted upon. We're not the ones performing the action. We are not the ones who are ceasing from sin under our own strength. It's Christ. Through the sufferings of Christ, through his death and resurrection, through his work, we now can cease from sin. And what he means by ceased from sin, I believe, is that we've died to sin. Sin no longer has power over us. We've been set free from sin. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 6. One who has died has been set free from sin. And so Peter says, because Christ suffered, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead. So you too are to die to your sin and be raised with him to walk in newness of life, set free from sin. Again, Romans 6, Paul says, the death that he died, Jesus, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so the Christian will walk in obedience because of the death of Christ has set us free from our sin. There's a phrase that we use either about ourselves or somebody else in our lives often. Like for example, if you've got a family member, let's say you've got an uncle who's really blunt and just tells things like it is, you find yourself apologizing for him sometimes, right? Because you're like, it's okay, that's just the way he is, it's just who he is, he's blunt, we get it, right? Or you say that about yourself, you find yourself uh, stuck back in sin again, you go, "It's it's it's just the way I am, it's just who I am. But if this is true, then that's not true. It's not who you are. You've been set free from sin. And so to say it's just the way I am and to make excuses for our sin, I'm not talking about personality quirks, I'm talking about sin. To make excuses for our sin is to deny the truth that we have died with Christ, we have died to sin, and we are raised to life in Christ. Yes, some of your struggles will be constant. You will have sins because we, we, still, we still struggle with the flesh because we still want what we want in our flesh. That's the whole thing in Romans 7, right? Paul says, I don't do the things I wanna do, I do the things I don't wanna do. That's a struggle, but we have been set free. So here's what that means. There is not a single sin in your life, not a single sin in your life that has power over you, that you cannot uh, walk in, that you cannot repent of and then walk in obedience to Christ from. There's not a single sin in your life that because of the death and resurrection of Christ that you cannot claim victory over in your life through the work of Christ. Christ died for your sin and through his power enables you now to die to your sin. And that's the idea that Peter continues with in verses two and three. Whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Number one, Christ's death is our death. Number two, Christ's will is our will. So we we die to sin, but now we are to live to Christ. We are to put our will in submission to him. Because we're dead to sin, it means we're also dead to our former ways, our former desires, 
2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. And I don't think we have a lot of trouble believing in the church that we've been saved from the penalty of sin. That's what we, we celebrate, right? We've been saved from the fact that there's now, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But immediately after Paul says that in Romans 8, he goes on to say, yes, but those who, who are not condemned, who are in Christ, they don't walk in the flesh anymore, they walk in the spirit. Because you're not in the flesh anymore, you're in the spirit, you are set free from the power of sin, not just the penalty of sin. So not only are you forgiven, but you have been made righteous in Christ. You've been set free from sin's power so that you can lay aside your will and live for the will of your Savior. Now, Peter does something really important in verse three here, something that a lot of people are not willing to do, and I, and, and I get it. He lists sin. He makes a list of sins. So he doesn't just say, hey, you guys need to stop doing the wrong things that you're doing. He points out the things that are happening that they're being involved in that they need to turn away from. This is very common in the New Testament. They list sin, they call it out. They, they're not vague about sin like we often are. When we moved into our new house recently, uh, the AC wasn't working, which thankfully it was January, so it wasn't as intolerable as it could be. But uh, I called you know, an AC company, and one of the first questions they ask is, what's wrong with it? And I want to just answer in that moment, well, it's not working, and I need you to come find out what's wrong with it. But I, I try to, I, I understand what they're trying to do. They want to get to the problem. They want to figure out what's wrong. Let's call it out so that we can fix what's going on. It's a very simple thing, and that's what we have to do in our own lives. We're, we're unwilling to do that. We find ourselves stuck in sin, but we're unwilling to call out that sin in our own lives. And maybe the reason that you're still struggling with a particular sin in your life is because you're not willing to actually call it out. One way we call it out is found in James 5.16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Go to Christ for forgiveness. Nobody else can forgive you of your sins but Christ. But we go to one another for healing, to be able to walk in freedom. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. When's the last time you looked a fellow Christian in the eye and confessed a sin in your life? We talk about our, our struggles and our trials often, and we should. Let's talk about what's not going right in our lives, but let's also confess our sin to one another. That's where you're gonna find healing. So many of us struggle with sin privately and quietly and we're not willing to call it out and acknowledge it and pray for one another that you may be healed. But Peter's doing that here. He's calling it out. He says, you've died to these things. The time for you to do these things has passed. Now is the time for you to be conformed to the will of God. Or as Paul says in Colossians 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's no longer about your will, your desires. It's about his but we'd rather, many people when they get saved, the temptation is, well, let me, let me just throw a little bit of Jesus in my life. I'm gonna try to maintain my life as best I can, maintain all of my connections, all of my friendships, go to the parties, do all the things that I used to do, and, and just make sure that people know that I'm a Christian. There's a few things that I might not do here and there, but Peter's describing a 180 here. He said, the time has passed for you to live in the life that you once lived. Let's now conform ourselves to the will of God. I remember my youth pastor growing up, he used to tell us that when he became a Christian, he became a Christian as a, as a 14 or 15 year old, I believe, and he said at that point in his life, he made the decision to 
to give up uh, any secular music, any, any music that didn't have uh, Christian Bible-based lyrics. And he didn't say that that's what every Christian should do. That was a struggle for him. And he said, I want to, I want to bring this area of my life in conformity to Christ. Another thing he did that he got mocked for often and I, it used to bother me is uh, he and his wife, when they started dating, they made the decision not to kiss one another until their wedding day. And again, he didn't tell anybody that that's what they had to do. But this was an area of his life that he, he made this decision so that he could make sure that he was living in purity before the Lord. And I remember him being mocked for that and, and, I, and I began to realize that this is how many people, many people treat their Christian life as how close can I get to sin without sinning? And Peter's saying, you need to recognize your former way of life and you need to forsake it and run to the will of Christ. This isn't just, I'm gonna try to make my life a little bit different. This is a complete transformation because you've died to sin, you died with Christ and now Christ's will is your will. You're not living for yourself and your desires anymore. You are not your own. You could translate Peter's words here basically as saying, enough with living like the world does. You're different. You've been made new. So arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. Choose his will over your own. Now, the fear here, as we begin to talk about this, is, but, but won't that make me seem different to the people around me? Won't, won't, people aren't gonna understand that I'm no longer engaging in some of these things again, exactly. And Peter calls that out too in verses four and five. He says, with respect to this, with respect to you forsaking the things of the world and conforming your will to the will of the Lord, with respect to this, they, the world, are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Number three, Christ's approval over men's. Christ's approval over men's. Yes, you will be ridiculed. Yes, you will be at times even maligned because you choose no longer to walk in these ways. You may have to cut ties with some friends. You may have to walk away from certain, uh, certain activities. You may have to give up a whole lot of your old life, but you're not doing it for the approval of men. This is for the approval of your heavenly father. And it doesn't make sense to the world why we wouldn't do some of these things. Oftentimes, we're trying to find how we can, we can live as close to the world as possible without compromising. And Peter says, our lives should be so different that they're surprised. Our lives should be so, so, in such a contrast to the way that the world lives that it doesn't make sense to them, that they're surprised by it. Here's, a, here's another statement. I, I made a statement at the beginning uh, that I, I said we know to be true, but for some reason we just can't, we can't always agree with it. Here's another one. Unsaved people do unsaved things and don't understand why saved people don't do those things. Unsaved people are going to act unsaved. It's not, this is not a, a, a judgment, this is reality. Those who are still in their sin are going to continue in their sin, but you and I have been set free from sin. We're not supposed to live that way anymore and they will be surprised when we don't. There was a, an article in the Dallas Morning News in 1992. Um, and just so you don't think I'm really weird, I didn't find this article. I don't go reading articles from 1992. Another pastor did and, and pointed this out. The, the, the author of the article said this about the world at that time. Said that our world is a society preoccupied with values, yet hopelessly vague on sin. 
You want to know why everybody in our world wants to talk about uh, having morals and being a good person, and yet they don't understand why you live the way that you do? It's because they want to talk about values, but they don't want to talk about sin. But you can't get to values and righteousness if you're not first willing to repent from sin and turn to Christ. It's empty. It's empty conversation. The reason they don't understand is because they're preoccupied with values and yet hopelessly vague on sin. And when you're vague on sin, you're going to be vague on the righteousness of Christ and you have no values. You're in your sin. The temptation is is strong to compromise for the sake of the approval of men. We're kind of like little kids going to God and saying, God, but everybody else is doing it. Can't I do it too? I mean, can't I just find some way to, to, to be as close to the world as possible. I want to witness to them. I, I want to be, be a testimony to them, and so I'm going to do the things that they do as far as I can so that I can share the gospel with them. All the while, we're, we're not walking in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. We're not actually living as the lights that Christ has called us to. We spend far more effort on maintaining the approval of men than seeking the approval of our Heavenly Father. And... I understand, at, when, and when we talk about salvation, yes, in Christ, God is pleased with us. I'm not, don't mistake what I'm saying. But Paul also says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You're not working for the approval of men, you're working for the Lord, for his glory, for his honor, for his fame. Maybe your struggle isn't that you want the approval of men, maybe your struggle is simply the fear of men. Maybe you're just afraid that if I begin to live differently, then I'm going to be persecuted, I'm going to be maligned, and if I compromise, then that won't happen, and I can live a quiet life and not be bothered by anybody. Jesus said in Matthew 10, don't fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Now, let's just acknowledge the contrast here. We often fear those who just speak words against us. Jesus takes it so far as to say, don't don't even fear them if they're going to put you to death. For your beliefs. Don't fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him, revere him, honor him, God, who can destroy both soul and body and hell. And isn't that Peter's point in verse 5 when he says, When they malign you, just remember, remember their destiny. Remember that they will give an account before the Lord, and in turn, also remembering that you too must give an account before the Lord. You are responsible for how you live before the Lord, not for how they live. Yes, they're persecuting you, they're mocking you, they're maligning you, they're hating you, but they will give an account. So fear the Lord, work for his approval. Paul was spot on, obviously, when he said in 2 Timothy 4, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I'm seeing this happen all over the place. People are taking God's word and they're, they're twisting it to make it say what they want it to say. As culture goes, so even some pastors are going out to take the word of God to say, let's make sure we stay in step with the culture. But we were never called to stay in step with the culture. To be a Christian means that you will be out of step with the culture. I'm not saying you intentionally go out and be offensive to people. I think it was Vodibachan that said, the gospel is offensive enough. You don't have to be, right? But we are called to be different. 
See, many people today, if a church or a pastor or somebody is preaching against sin, the, the tendency is just to find another church that isn't. And pastors don't wanna talk about sin. Christians don't wanna talk about it because it's uncomfortable. We wanna, we wanna, we wanna just, we just wanna get everybody in the same room and just sing some songs and give some tips on how to live a better life and go home. Paul says what people are doing is they don't wanna endure sound doctrine anymore. They have itching ears. They want teachers that are gonna tell them what they wanna hear. But we are called to be different. Peter never suggests, the Bible never suggests that we should find ways to make sure that the world doesn't persecute us. The Bible never says, make sure you live in such a way that, that nobody, nobody wants to persecute you. Make sure that you, you, don't, you don't go too all in on this Christianity thing because you don't want people to think you're weird. The Bible never treats it that way. The Bible says, live in such a way, we've already seen this in 1 Peter, live in such a way that when they do malign you, they'll be put to shame because they see your good works. That when they do malign you, your opponents are silenced because they have nothing to say about you other than you're standing for a truth that they hate. Or to put it the way John Piper did, Christians are to be both out of step with their culture and compelling in the culture. In other words, what Peter said, we saw last week, live in such a way that people will ask you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Out of step with the culture, doesn't make sense. They malign you, but there are some who see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Out of step with the culture and compelling in the culture. Choose Christ's approval over men's. And then Peter closes out the section in verse six. And he says, for this is why, this, the, the truth that we are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way that people are, they might live in the spirit the way that God does. This is yet another confusing verse for people. But let, me, let me try to explain this the, the best that I can. Peter here, when he talks about, in, in verse six, those who are dead, I believe that Peter is talking about those who have physically died. Uh, at, at the time of Peter writing. He's saying, there are those who have had the gospel preached to them and they are now dead. They physically have passed on. And though they're judged in the flesh the way people are, they live in the spirit the way God does. So he's saying they have died physically, but they're going to be raised with Christ. You see, one of the things that the world does is they look at us and they say, what's the point? Why would you follow after God? Why would you give up all of these things from your former way of life? Why would you live in such a radical way? It doesn't make sense. Why not just eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we die? You only got one life. The author of Hebrews says, yeah, there, there's this life, and then you die, and after that comes the judgment. And so what we need to remember, our last point this morning, is that Christ's life is our life. Our life is no longer our own that even though we may die in this life and we will die in this life, even though we're persecuted, even though we're judged in the flesh, we are, we are, we're judged by the people around us, ultimately we will be raised to life with Christ. The transforming power of the gospel not only changes your actions in this life, but it changes your destiny. Peter says, though you're judged in the flesh the way that people are, I think he's saying, though you experience persecution, and even though some of you may be put to death for your faith, you live in the spirit the way that God does. Just as Christ did. We saw, again, a reference back to chapter three, verse 18. 
Peter said of Jesus being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. So the same is true of us. Death no longer has power over us. And so you're not just living for this life. You're not living for this life at all, as a matter of fact. You are living for eternity. And so this is why the gospel is preached. This is why we live differently. This is why our lives are to be transformed because it's not about what happens in this life. We are living for a better kingdom. We're living for eternity. This is the great hope that the Christian has in the midst of suffering, by the way. This is our hope. And we talk about it all the time, but I think we forget that this is our hope because as, as, as Rob was even talking earlier today during our time of, of song, you know, it's easy to lose hope as you look around the world and you see the chaos and the division and the brokenness. It's easy, it's easy to give up hope. It's easy to just forget that, that this world is not our home. It's easy to forget that even the greatest suffering that we experience in this life cannot be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. That even being put to death for our faith only ushers us into the presence of our Savior where there is eternal and perfect and complete joy in his presence for eternity. Paul says it this way, 1 Thessalonians 4. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Because Christ has been raised to life, he will raise his people again as well. Jesus said of himself in John 11, he said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. This is our hope. So yes, we can give up the passions of this life. We can give up our desires, our fleshly sins. We can give it all up. We can be mistreated by the world. We can be even put to death for our faith, but we have a better kingdom coming. We're not home yet. I love that line in Hebrews as it talks about the great hall of faith in chapter 11. And the author at some point says, I, I can't continue to name names because time wouldn't allow me to go on about those who have been persecuted for their faith, those who have been killed, those who have been uh, tortured, those who have even been sawn in two. And he, he has this line where he says, of these the world was not worthy because they were looking to a better kingdom by faith. I wanna close with one final passage. And I think at some point, I wanna do a whole sermon on this passage because there's so much here, but I think it's an appropriate way for us to end this morning. If you know the story of Moses, Moses was born into an Israelite family and at that time, Pharaoh was putting to death all uh, male Israelites two years and younger because he was getting afraid that they were gonna, these slaves, the Israelites were gonna uh, have an uprising and Moses' parents snuck him away and he ends up in the arms of Pharaoh's daughter and he's raised by Pharaoh's daughter. The author of Hebrews says this about him in Hebrews 11, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. He chose 
rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose the reproach of Christ, the persecution of being a follower of Yahweh over the pleasures of Egypt, over the riches of Egypt, because he considered suffering for Christ of greater worth than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered it better. And I think this is exactly the point that Peter's driving home here, that the reproaches of Christ are far better than the treasures of this world. And here's the thing, it takes faith. A reference back to verse one, this is why that that word ceased from sin. It's really important that that's in the passive voice because we're not the ones who accomplish this. This is Christ who accomplishes this in us. Through his power, through the, the power of the gospel, we are able to forsake the riches and fleeting pleasures of this world and live for a better kingdom. It takes faith. It takes relying on Christ and his word. Christ, through his sufferings, has given us a new life. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope, one that we get to hold on to, even in the worst of suffering in this life. And so, Christian, as we close this morning, it's time for a self-assessment. Have you ceased from sin? Not, are you perfect? Not, do you have it all together? Because none of us do in this life but have you truly died to your sin? Have you forsaken the pleasures of your sin for the riches of Christ? Or do you think that the gospel and salvation is just simply a ticket to heaven? I can do whatever I want in this life because I'm forgiven, I can live however I want. Peter's showing us a picture of a different gospel. He's saying the gospel, yes, it does give you eternal security. Yes, those who are in Christ can never lose their salvation. All of that is true. But that same gospel will transform you. You will be different. You will, in this way, cease from sin, die to sin, and live for Christ. You will conform your will to his because it's the power of the gospel, not your efforts that do this. Or maybe your struggle this morning is being fearful of the world or wanting the approval of the world or being enamored by the things in this world and you just can't seem to be willing to give it all up for the riches of Christ. Don't forget that God is ready to judge the living and the dead. Don't forget that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. And don't forget that the same people that you're worried about pleasing in this world, those same people that you're trying to make sure that they don't persecute you, they'll stand before the judgment seat too and they'll be accountable for their actions. Do what Paul says to do in 2 Corinthians 13. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. My desire this morning and Paul's desire here, I don't believe, is to cause anybody to unnecessarily question your salvation. That's not the point. But I am saying that the gospel is so much more than just a ticket to heaven one day. The gospel is transforming. Examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you? In other words, if Christ is in you, you'll pass the test. This isn't some like, how good are you? How, how much have you read your Bible this week? How, how, how are you doing with loving your, your, your spouse and your kids? All that goes into it, but this is a test. If Christ is in you, you will see a desire to die to sin and live for Christ. You will see a desire to forsake the things of this world and to pursue after Jesus. Examine yourselves to see if you really have Christ in you or not. Would you bow your heads and, and, and pray with me as we, as we wrap this up?
I know that's a, that's a heavy word to end on. And again, my desire is not to, I'm not here to lay burdens on anybody. I'm not here to make anybody question the validity of their salvation. I'm here to challenge you to examine yourself. And I'm here to tell you that if you do examine yourself and you realize that you, you are not truly in Christ, that the invitation is there to repent from your sin and turn to Christ and be transformed by the gospel. That salvation, the, the price for salvation has been paid for by Jesus Christ and is available to all who would repent and believe. And I am here, if you are, if you know that you're a follower of Christ and you just simply know that you've been struggling lately, that you have been enamored by this world, you have been pursuing after your own lusts and sins and passions, that this is a time for you to repent too. And this is a time for you to think of right now a brother or sister in Christ that you need to leave here today and confess that sin to and ask for prayer that you can be healed. You go to Christ, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We go to one another, James says, to find healing. So examine yourself because I'm telling you, just as Moses found, the reproaches of Christ are far better than the desires of this world. That yeah, it's hard to live for Christ. It's hard to be persecuted for your faith. It's hard to endure suffering. But I, I know that the sufferings of this life are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that's to be revealed to us. I know that Jesus is better. Better than anything you wanna fill in the blank with. That sin that you think is bringing you satisfaction, that sin that you think is, is fulfilling your life is only causing despair, is only causing brokenness, is only separating your fellowship with your savior. But you were designed to be in fellowship with God. You were designed to experience the abundant life that he provides for us by repenting from your sin, forsaking your sin and trusting in Christ. So that's the invitation this morning. If you've never done that, then for the first time, would you repent of your sin, which simply just means to confess it, to acknowledge that not only have you sinned, but you are a sinner as we all are. We are born into sin. Confess that. Repent from that, turn from that and turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know you are the only one who can save me. Acknowledge you as Lord and Savior and believe in him, trust in him. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. So come to him. And then if you are in him, examine yourself and make sure that you confess to God and to a brother or sister today. Don't let today pass. So God, we give you this time. We thank you for the gospel, the transforming, forgiving, saving power of the gospel. We thank you that we, don't, we cannot do any of this on our own, and so you've accomplished the work for us. You are our righteousness. You are our sanctification. You're everything. 
that we need. And so I pray that, that those who are hearing this word today would not, would not live under the burden of their guilt and sin, but that they would bring it to the foot of the cross and they would confess it and acknowledge it, recognize that you will forgive. And I pray for courage for that person that right now is listening to this and they know they need to confess a sin to somebody that, that they just don't wanna do. I pray that you would give them the courage to do that. I pray that the person that they approach would have grace and truth in their response. And I pray that this would only serve to bring us closer to you for your glory and honor. Finally, God, I pray for those of us that may be experiencing th this maligning, this persecution by the world, whether it's friends or neighbors or coworkers that are, just simply don't understand our life or, or, or are making fun of us or, or, or mocking us, whatever it may be, God, would you remind us that the reproaches of Christ are of far greater wealth than the approval of men and the riches of this world. Be with us as we go. May our lives be pleasing and honoring to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, well, as I said, uh, we're going to take a break from this uh, First Peter study for the next three weeks. And so I want to invite you to be a part of that series called Sacraments for the next few weeks. Um, also, just want to... Uh, uh, give you by way of reminder, if you'd stand with me as we get ready to dismiss, by way of reminder, if you are a member of Mission Way, you call Mission Way home, uh, a reminder to give. Uh, we are continuing to, to uh, fund the ministry that God has us here, and uh, we're so thankful for those of you that continue to give. There are ways to do that online. Uh, you can see that on the screen behind me, or you can mail a check to the church, or there's a little lockbox in between the two double doors on your way out that you can drop your gift in this morning as well. Um, but uh, thanks for being here today. Uh, we hope to see you next Sunday as we start our new series called Sacraments. God bless.